I'd like to welcome everyone to uh, Giants in Orthopedic Sports Medicine. Uh, my name's uh, Christopher Kading. I'm a professor of orthopedic surgery at Ohio State University. And um, it's my honor and privilege to uh, interview uh, Dr. John Bergfeld today. Um, I have a long history of uh, gratitude toward Dr. Bergfeld. He was my uh, fellowship director and has been a mentor and advisor in my entire career. So I think you all know of his um, success. He was team physician for the Cleveland Browns for upwards of 30 years. He's been past president of uh, AOSSM, uh, the American College of Sports Medicine, as well as uh, ISACOS. So clearly a very storied and successful career. So welcome, Dr. Bergfeld, and thank you for uh, agreeing to this interview. Thank you. So uh, one question I have is, um, what's the first thing you remember wanting to do for a living? And, and what did you want to do or be when you were a child? Yeah, uh, that's a good question because I, I always wanted to be a doctor, and I don't know why. I, I, I grew up with a French grandmother in the country. The only doctor I ever knew was Doc Eberwein, who came out to vaccinate us and see us when we were sick. He burned his fingers off holding x-ray plates from the old days. I had no other association with doctors. I it was just wanted to be a doctor, and I, and I really, I get asked that question a lot, and I, I just don't know why. Dr. Berkman, what was your first job? My first job was working for my uncle drilling water wells. And Holy it was uh, hard work in the summer. <laughs> my uncle, as I said, I grew up in the country and my uncle lived on the farm next to where I grew up and he was a water well driller. So I worked for him in the summers. You mentioned that as far as you can remember, you always wanted to be a, a doctor. Why? Do you know why? Uh, what drove you or um, made you want to become a physician? I don't know. But as I got closer and closer to it, as I went through high school, uh, I, uh, I think I liked it more and more. I got stronger, stronger feelings to wanting to be it. You know, I had to know that I had to get good grades. That made me study because I knew to get into medical school, I had to get good grades. And uh, I think that uh, I, I, I just really can't answer that question. I just wanted to be, and I, everything I knew about it, which was very little, <laughs> other than Doc Everwine with his burned off fingers, I just wanted to be a doc. As a, as a kid or as a young man, did you have any heroes? Anyone you look back on, remember as a young person? Well, I don't, as a young person, I didn't have any real heroes. Uh, although as an adult, I have some heroes. Uh, and if I, if I can, I can, two of them are, one's the Dalai Lama, uh, the head of Buddhism, and the other was Teddy Roosevelt. And uh, one of the reasons why I, uh, I look at the Dalai Lama as a hero. I don't know if you can, can I, can you see this little book here? Yes. That, Dalai Lama, that's the Dalai Lama's little book of wisdom. And Chris, you'll know, I give all the fellows and I just want to quote from the Dalai Lama about doctors. When we go to a hospital, irrespective of the doctor's quality, if the doctor shows genuine feeling and deep concern for us, and if he or she smiles, then we feel okay. But if the doctor shows little human affection, then even though he or she may be a very great expert, we may feel unsure and nervous. This is human nature. And this really resigns with me because I think, particularly with the electronic world, we're getting doctors that are getting, they're great technicians, they're great surgeons, uh, the patients, I often have patients come to me and say, well, I never really met the guy. Uh, they were, were 
getting rid of what the Dalai Lama had to say there. And that yeah, there's lots of other things that the Dalai Lama do, but that's my most, uh, it, it, why he's one of my real heroes. He really says it the way it should be in medicine. What, Others, so, excuse me. So what made you look into, how'd you, how'd you make that connection with Dalai Lama? Did you, did you read a book or someone introduced you? How, how'd you find that? Yeah, you know, I, I, either you hear uh, people talking about uh, philosophies and I was interviewing one of our candidates uh, who uh, was um, from China. And we started talking about it and he said, well, Dr. Bergfeld, you know, Buddhism, he, this fellow was a Buddhist. He said, Buddhism is not a religion, it's a philosophy. And uh, I said, wait a minute, that makes sense to me. I think a philosophy is very good. Religion is based on you know, people's interpretation and the fear of what's going to happen in the hereafter. Nobody's ever proven that. Buddhism, they don't care who you are. It's just you have a good, you lead a good life and uh, you don't have to have, now they've built big temples and big things like that, but you don't need them in life. And uh, so I like that because he's a philosophical leader, not a religious leader. That's yeah, fascinating. You also mentioned Roosevelt. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I like Teddy Roosevelt because, uh, first of all, he was a very brave man. No question, he was an egocentric guy. He, um, but he, he really walked a walk and 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 uh, talked the talk. Uh, he, he, uh, he came from a privileged family, a very wealthy man. Never, his father told him he never had to work for a living, and look at what he did. He worked very, very, very hard. He also came from the establishment, but when he was president, he took on the establishment. He took on the uh, robber barons, as they called them. He was not liked. He was not liked in our city of Cleveland. They called him the cowboy because in Cleveland we had we had giant steel, coal, and shipping magnets, and he broke he broke the trust, and and. Uh, he didn't break all of them. He broke the ones that he thought were taking advantage of people. There were many trusts that he he uh, supported. He also uh, had, you know, great quotes. He he, you know, he 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 when he lost the election, he went out to out west and became a cowboy, or worked with the cowboys, and he recognized them and he organized them when we were uh, trying to uh, free Cuba from Spain. Everybody knows about. His, uh, his, uh, uh, he organized this uh, cowboy brigade and went up, charged San Juan Hill, and, and uh, he uh, led. He got in front of the men and did it. And that's a that's a brave, brave person. Well, he carried on the same way as a president, and uh, he has a uh, a quote <laughs> that I really like, and uh, he says it. It, uh, it, uh, it's not the critic who counts. It's a person who tries valiantly again and again, failing, successful, but he'll never be with those cold critics who've never experienced uh, defeat or victory. And I think that what he was saying about that was the people who count are the people who participate, not the ones who sit in the back and criticize. And uh, he certainly participated at intellectually and uh, physically and uh, 
politically. So that's he's why why he's one of my other heroes. So to shift a little bit, Dr. Burko, what is something you're passionate about that's not work related? Well, uh, as I told you, I grew up on a farm, and, and my cousin, who was on this, uh, actually in the same farm, Henry. He, I went to medical school, and he went to ag school, <laughs> and he and I have been very, very close uh, ever since. And he managed a large, uh, uh, the second largest herd of Angus cattle in the United States. And when that, I always had a few head of cattle kept in contact. And when he, he. Um, realized that this organization he was working for was going to break up when the patriarch died. He called me out and said, listen, you want to get in this business seriously? And that was about 15 years ago. And I said, yeah. And the next thing you know, I became a cattle, uh, Black Angus cattle breeder. And uh, that's what uh, is my, uh, I'm kind of passionate about that. Uh, it took me, a, I had to get some of the things, but I enjoy that very much, enjoy the, the cattlemen and enjoy the association and the day-to-day -day work with the cattle, yeah. I know that's made you a, um, a bit of a connoisseur on a good steak. <laughs> that's right, as long as it's certified Angus beef. <laughs> <laughs> do you find friends and like people, some of your cattle people, do they even understand what you do, what your job is? Do you, do you spend the time to explain that to them or they, they see the different side of you? that They don't see the orthopedic surgeon, Bergfeld. Well, uh, I, I must say that I'm like the family doc for these cattlemen. I, around here in Ohio, they all call me up, uh, probably because they know I work at the Cleveland Clinic, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm their family doc. And so they do understand what I do. They understand, they don't know what anything about surgery they just look at me as a doctor, as, as I guess as I as a kid in the country looked at a doctor as a doctor. <laughs> and they would call me up about all kinds of problems and I'm, I'm always willing to help them. Uh, most time I got to send them to one of my friends or colleagues here. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great segue because I know uh, you take that philosophy uh, toward being a team physician as well. Uh, uh, I think you probably view it as unfortunate that some of our colleagues view themselves as team surgeons. You always viewed yourself as a team physician. You know, you want to comment on that? Yeah. <clears throat> yes. I think that, uh, and that was one of the conflicts I had when I was president of a uh, AOSSM. We had a lot of sur good surgeons, technical surgeons, innovative surgeons, at, and they did a lot of surgery that, that are athletes, uh, that, but they were never in the training room. They were never on uh, traveling on the bus to a game. They were never there uh, talking with a coach. And they wanted to call themselves sports physicians, team physicians. And I had a big, big uh, problem with that. And uh, I think that uh, the uh, real team physician is a guy who's, and this is what, I, as you know, Chris, when I had to, we had the fellows, had to, he had a high school, had a college that they had to work with, and then the professional teams with us side by side. And, and uh, uh, I'm very proud that many have, have uh, done that. We have a few uh, uh, of our fellows who become technocrats, I should say, and they're, they're great. They are very innovative, but real sports medicine is in the fields, in, on the field, playing field, in a gym, in the locker room, in the swimming hole, Paul Hall. And, and I think anyone who knows you, uh, Dr. Burfell, understand that that's where you excel. You've always been an exceptional practitioner on that whole aspect of uh, caring for athletes. 
in your career, what would you say has been the hardest obstacle you've had to overcome professionally? Uh, well, I, I think one, one thing that I think that I've, whether it's an obstacle, but I, I have not done as well as I think I, I should have done. And that was to take the time to uh, write and publish the work that uh, was going on. I mean, I did a lot of lectures, but sitting down and writing uh, the research, uh, I've had good fellows who followed on with it, but there were a lot of things that I think would have been good contributions that I just didn't do. So probably that's one of the, the things that I think that I didn't do as well as I could have. Now, as far as the hardest thing, one of the hardest things I have to tolerate is a little bit of the evaluation systems that are going on where a surgeon gets evaluated by the number of cases and the amount of income he brings into an organization rather than what his uh, personality is. And uh, we're getting more and more and more to that data-driven. The data that's collected on a surgeon is how many cases he does, how much money he or she brings into the organization. That's hard for me to tolerate. I think it's important, don't let me get me wrong. And I think hard work is important, but when it becomes secondary, uh, then uh, I have a concern with that. Well, Dr. Bergfeld, you've clearly had a uh, hugely successful, long, broad, illustrious career. In that career, what do you think your biggest achievements were or what are you most proud of? Okay, I, I may have said this earlier. What I'm most proud of are guys like you, people that had, I've had the opportunity to influence who've gone on many in private practices and carry out and do a great job. Many who've gone on to be uh, fellowship directors. There's four department chairmen, the orthopedic department, very proud of them. And uh, they, they serve as team physicians from the professional level right on down to the local club. Uh, so I'm, that's what I'm most proud of, the uh, people that I've had the opportunity to train and seeing them uh, flourish. Yeah, thank you. The, what about within the um, sports medicine structure and organizations and societies? Any comment on that side? Well, I think uh, one was that uh, AOSSM and ISACOS, we really took it away from, took it from being a club to a really well-organized, we gave structure to it. Uh, in other words, we formalized the committees we formalized how you become a committee member. Um, we, uh, and then I, I did mention that my, uh, in my presidential address at AOSSM, I said, we're gonna continue to uh, pursue the certificate of added qualifications, what it was called then as certificates. And that was a problem, but we did pursue it and it, we've accomplished it. And it's been a gigantic, uh, gigantic influence on the credit, the quality and credibility of our sports medicine training. Yeah, those are great, great achievements. And I, I watched those organizations um, uh, go from very early and young to much more mature organizations. And uh, your influence and guidance on that is all very, very appreciative. Well, so, I, I know in my, when the College of Sports Medicine, I, it was the same thing. Uh, and I said, we're like an orchestra warming up. When you get into the orchestra, it's a cacophony of sound. Everybody's, the violins are doing their thing, they're running up. But when it 
when it's all over, the orchestra comes together. Well, I think that both of those are, I sort of say, we started with the warm up uh, that cacophony of sound. And now both of those organizations are orchestras playing and highly organized and making great contributions. That's a great analogy. So, you know, what, what keeps you learning? What motivates you? How do you stay on the front? You know, the, um, um, you've never left. You've always been on the leading edge of everything that's happening. What, what motivates you for that? Well, one, I like being a doctor. I really, truly like being a doctor. <laughs> I mean, the patients in the room, my old, uh, the, 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 uh, team, the players of the professional teams call me up. You know, I'm down in Dallas, Texas, Doc, and I, I got a, my mother had a heart attack. You know, somebody can help me. Uh, that I think has been uh, 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 important to me. Now, to restate your question, I got off the track there. I think. Uh, just what motivates you to continue to learn and, and stay on the leading edge? Yeah. Well, I I still see patients three days a week, and the patients come and say, "Well, you're the sports doctor," which I said, "Yeah, but my sports have changed." The sports, instead of being baseball, football, and basketball, it's it's uh, badminton, paddle tennis, uh, pickleball. I had to find out what the hell pickleball was. Jogging, women walking their dog. The average age of my clinics now is 65 to 70, but they're active people, and they 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 see they come to see me. They say, "Look, can you keep me going?" And they've got an arthritic knee or an arthritic shoulder or an arthritic hip. And I, the other line is, I don't want surgery. <laughs> and I know that you're retired from doing surgery. So what motivates me is these patients coming in saying, you know, help me out. So I've now become more and more interested in osteoarthritis. Yeah, there's, got it, there's more on the line than physical therapy, cortisone injections. We're on the verge of, uh, of uh, maybe making some more progress. And that's what keeps me motivated. One, I like being a doctor and, and uh, I like trying to do the best I can for my patients and it makes it easy. So John, you may have already, you just kind of alluded to this. I was just gonna ask you, in your career, you've seen so much progress and advancement in our field. You know, today, what are you curious about in the future? What, what do you? What do you look forward to in the next 10, 20 years? What do you think we're going to see uh, moving forward? What, what, oh, well, I think, what intrigues you? Yeah, I think, first of all, we made these gigantic advances in the surgical technique. There's no question. When I finished training, uh, all you had to know was anatomy. Uh, we didn't have all the mechanical things. We used to fuse knees for arthritis. But I think the, the forefront is going to be on the technical aspects of things. Um, and the, uh, the biochemistry, I think we're going to have, uh, we're going to eventually be able to look at somebody's uh, genetic profile and we're gonna be able to see, guess what? They have the gene for prostate cancer and uh, we're gonna be able to eliminate that gene. Uh, I think that that's a reality, it's going to come. So I think it's not so much technical surgical things, it's gonna be the uh, biomedical. Uh, we're going to learn uh, more and more about how uh, we can use things. We use PRP now. We, we, we don't, we think it's okay. I think we're going to find out whether it's really worthwhile. Stem cells, that's another, it's a political issue, but stem cells, uh, 
I think are going to be play a role in us as, as we how we treat people. And of course, I think we'll make uh, we'll continue to make great evolutions in the surgical techniques. Uh, that that's sort of a, a spoken word. There's a lot of bright surgeons that are every day coming up with some better way to do something. You know, uh, you've achieved so much in your career, but do you have any remaining goals that you'd like to achieve? One thing I'd like to achieve is a little better treatment for osteoarthritis than just giving them a cortisone injection and physical therapy. There's some things right on the edge. I'm just reading an article about injecting the inferior genicular artery. Uh, I'm not quite ready to recommend that for patients, but I think I would like to uh, achieve that. Uh, I think that uh, I've been had a great life. Uh, as, uh, one of my philosophies is I'm going to live till I die. <laughs> just keep my keep going till I go out feet first, and uh, and uh, I think that's my my goal is to just uh, die a happy guy. And and uh, I've been lucky so far. Yeah, I, a lot of wisdom in that, and and we've seen you live that. With all that you've seen and done. What kind of, what advice do you have to our young colleagues, our, our young members? Uh, any, anything you want to share with them? Yeah, I think the, don't uh, remember why you wanted to be a doctor. Somewhere you decided you wanted to be a doctor. And I don't think you thought you wanted to be a doctor because you could make a lot of money. If you wanted to make a lot of money, you would have made a lot more money going into business. So what happens is that doctors uh, keep track of why you wanted to be a doctor. Somewhere you wanted to see patients, you wanted to help people. Uh, and it may be that you wanted to do surgery, but I think sometimes we lose track. I see doctors losing track of why they wanted to be a doctor. Uh, they just want to, I'm going to make this the fastest, most efficient way, and I can make more money this way. That bothers me. That's uh, so I think that uh, that's what. Yeah. All right. Any other comments in, that you want to make with what, everything we've uh, discussed? No, I, I think that uh, I've always been uh, very lucky uh, the, uh, in knowing great people, being in the right place at the right time, uh, and being willing to uh, work. I'm uh, very appreciative of some of the fantastic men and women that I've been able to rub elbows with and travel around the, traveling around the world. Like people say they're gonna retire and travel. <laughs> I'm gonna retire and stay home. <laughs> I think that I've been very, very lucky in my career to, to uh, pick orthopedics uh, and uh, because the people that work in orthopedics and not just the surgeons, the primary care docs, that's something also that I'm very, very proud of. We have, when we train, we train orthopedic surgeons side by side with the primary care docs. And my primary care docs that have been fellows, five of them have gone on to be president of the American College, American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. Forgot to mention that. That I'm very, very proud of, the medical side of things. So that's about it. <laughs> John, I want to, on behalf of all the members of ISCOS, I want to thank you for all that you've done in your life and your career and the, the legacy and the halo effect that we all benefit from, from all of your efforts. So. Thank you for sharing the time today and thank you for your life's efforts. I think we've all, we're all better for thank it. Thank you. Well, Issacos has been a great organization for me. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed every moment and the colleagues, the international colleagues, this is 
something we don't get. The international relationship has been tremendously valuable to me. The cultures and the way they approach and the, the, the superb men and women that I've had the opportunity to rub elbows with. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for helping to create the Issa Costa we all enjoy today.